Chapter Eighteen of Dead Men Tell No Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rohde. Dead Men Tell No Tales by E. W. Horning. Chapter Eighteen A Man of Many Murders. It was a good-sized wine cellar, with very little wine in it. Only one full bin could I discover. The bins themselves lined but two of the walls, and most of them were covered in with cobwebs, close-drawn, like mosquito curtains. The ceiling was all too low. Torpid spiders hung in disreputable parlors, dead to the eye, but loathsomely alive at an involuntary touch. Rats scuttled when we entered, and I had not been long alone when they returned to bear me company. I am not a natural historian, and had rather face a lion with the right rifle than a rat with a stick. My jailers, however, had been kind enough to leave me a lantern, which, set upon the ground, like my mattress, would afford a warning, if not a protection, against the worst, unless I slept." and as yet I had not lain down. The rascals had been considerate enough, more especially Santos, who had a new manner for me with his revised opinion of my character. It was a manner almost as courtly as that which embellished his relations with Eva Dennison, and won him my early regard at sea. Moreover, it was at the suggestion of Santos that they had detained me in the hall for much-needed meat and drink on the way down. Thereafter they had conducted me through the book-lined door of my undoing, down stone stairs leading to three cellar doors, one of which they had double-locked upon me. As soon as I durst I was busy with this door but to no purpose. It was a slab of solid oak, hung on hinges as massive as its lock. It galled me to think that but two doors stood between me and the secret tunnel to the sea, for one of the other two must lead to it. The first, however, was all beyond me, and I very soon gave it up. There was also a very small grating, which let in a very little fresh air, the massive foundations had been tunneled in one place. A rude alcove was the result, with this grating at the end and top of it, some seven feet above the earth floor. Even had I been able to wrench away the bars, it would have availed me nothing, since the aperture formed the segment of a circle, whose cord was but a very few inches long. I had nevertheless a fancy for seeing the stars once more, and feeling the breath of heaven upon my bandaged temples, which impelled me to search for that which should add a cubit to my stature. And at a glance I descried two packing-cases, rather small and squat, but the pair of them together the very thing for me. To my amazement, however, I could at first move neither one nor the other of these small boxes. Was it that I was weak as water, or that they were heavier than lead? At last I managed to get one of them in my arms, only to drop it with a thud. A side started. A thin sprinkling of yellow dust glittered on the earth. I fetched a lantern. 
It was gold dust from the Bendigo or from Ballarat. To me there was horror unspeakable, yet withal a morbid fascination, in the spectacle of the actual booty for which so many lives had been sacrificed before my eyes. Minute followed minute in which I looked at nothing, and could think of nothing but the stolen bullion at my feet. Then I gathered what of the dust I could, pocketed it in pinches to hide my meddlesomeness, and blew the rest away. The box had dropped very much where I had found it. It had exhausted my strength nonetheless, and I was glad at last to lie down on the mattress and to wind my body in rat-race blankets. I shuddered at the thought of sleep. The rats became so lively the moment I lay still. One ventured so near as to sit up close to the lantern. The light showed its fat, white belly, and the thing itself was like a dog begging, as big to my disgusted eyes. And yet, in the midst of these horrors, to me as bad as any that had preceded them, nature overcame me, and for a space my torment ceased. "'He is asleep,' a soft voice said. "'Don't wake the poor devil,' said another. "'But I wish to speak with him. "'Senor Cole! Senor Cole!' I opened my eyes. Santos looked of uncanny stature in the low yellow light from my pillow close to the earth. Harris turned away at my glance. He carried a spade and began digging near the boxes without more ado by the light of a second lantern set on one of them. His back was to me from this time on. Santos shrugged a shoulder towards the captain as he opened a camp-stool, drew up his trousers, and seated himself with much deliberation at the foot of my mattress. "'When you have treasure,' said he, "'the better thing is to bury it, said her coal. Our young friend upstairs begs to defer, but he is slipping, it is pity he takes such quantity of brandy. It is little weakness of you English. We in Portugal never touch it, save as a liqueur. Therefore we require less slip. Friend Squire upstairs is at this moment no better than a porker. Have I made a mistake? I thought it was the same word in both languages. But I am glad to see you smile, Senor Cole. That is a good sign." I was going to say, he is so fast asleep up there, that he would not hear us if we were to shoot each other dead. And he gave me his paternal smile, benevolent, humorous, reassuring. But I was no longer reassured. Nor did I greatly care any more what happened to me. There is a point of last, as well as one of least, resistance, and I had reached both points at once. "'Have you shot him dead?' I inquired, thinking that if he had, this would precipitate my turn. But he was far from angry. The parchment face crumpled into tolerant smiles. The venerable head shook a playful reproval as he threw away the cigarette that I am tired of mentioning, and put the last touch to a fresh one with his tongue. "'What question, I?' said he. "'Really, Senor Cole, but you are quite right. "'I would have shot him, or cut his throat,' "'and he shrugged indifference on the point. "'If it had not been for you, 
and yet it would have been your fault. I need not explain. The position must have explained itself already. Besides, it is past. With you two against us, but it is past. You see, I have no longer the excellent Jose. You broke his leg, bad man. I fear it will be necessary to destroy him. Santos made a pause, then inquired if he shocked me. Not a bit, said I, neither truly nor untruly. You interest me. And that he did. You see, he continued, I have not the respect of you English for human life. We will not argue it. I have at least some respect for prejudice. In my youth I had myself such prejudices, but one loses them on the Zambezi. You cannot expect one to set any value upon the life of a black nigger, and when you have killed a great many kaffirs by the lash with the crocodiles or what not, then a white man or two makes less difference. I acknowledge there were too many on board that sheep, but what was one to do? You have your English proverb about the dead men and the stories. It was necessary to make clean sweep. You see the result. He shrugged again towards the boxes, but this time, being reminded of them, I supposed, he rose and went over to see how Harris was progressing. The captain had never looked round. Neither did he look at Santos. A little dipper, I heard the latter say, and perhaps a few inches. But I lost the last epithet. It followed a glance over the shoulder in my direction, and immediately preceded the return of Santos to his camp-stool. "'Yes, it is always better to bury treasure,' said he once more, but his tone was altered. It was more contemplative, and many smoke-rings came from the shrunk lips before another word. But through them all his dark eyes, dull with age, were fixed upon me. "'You are a treasure,' he exclaimed at last, softly enough, but quickly and emphatically for him, and with a sudden and most diabolical smile. "'So you are going to bury me. I had suspected it when first I saw the spade, then not, but since the visit to the hole I had made up my mind to it. "'Bury you? No, not alive.' said Santos in his playfully reproving tone. It would be necessary to dig so deep, he added through his few remaining teeth. Well, I said, you'll swing for it. That's something. Santos smiled again, benignantly enough this time, in contemplation also, as an artist smiles upon his work. I was his. You live town, said he. No one knows where you go. You come down here. No one knows who you are. Your dear friend Squire locks you up for the night, but he drinks too much and goes to slip with the key in his pocket. It is there when he wakes. But the prisoner, where is he? He is gone, banished, escaped in the night. And, like the base fabric of your own poet's vision, he lives no trace. Is it trace? Behind. A little earth is so easily bitten down, a little more is so easily carried up into the garden, and a bead of nice strong wire might so easily be found in a cellar, and afterwards in the lock. No, Senator Cole, I do not expect to hang. My skims have seldom one single flaw. There was just one in the Lady German. There was, Senator Cole. 
if there is one this time and you will be so kind as to point it out i will i will run the risk of shooting you instead of a pinch of his baggy throat between the fingers and thumbs of both hands foreshadowed a cleaner end and yet i could look at him nay it was more than i could do not to look upon that bloodless face with the two dry blots upon the parchment that were never withdrawn from mine no you won't messmate if it's him or us for it let a bullet do it and let it do it quick you bloody spaniard you can't do the other without me and my part's done harris was my only hope i had seen this from the first but my appeal i had been keeping to the very end and now he was leaving me before a word would come santos had gone over to my grave and there was harris at the door it is not deep enough said the portuguese it's as deep as i mean to make it with you sitting there talking about it and the door stood open captain i screamed for christ's sake captain he stood there trembling yet even now not looking my way did you ever see a man hanged asked santos with a vile eye for each of us i once hanged fifteen in a row abominable thieves and i once poisoned nearly a hundred at one banquet an untrustworthy tribe but the hanging was the worst sight and the worst death Phew! there was one man he was no stouter than you are captain but the door slammed we heard the captain on the stairs there was a rustle from the leaves outside and then a silence that i shall not attempt to describe and indeed i am done with this description as i live to tell the tale or spoil it if i choose i will make shorter work of this particular business than i found it at the time perverse i may be in old age as in my youth but on that my agony my humiliating agony i decline to dwell i suffer it afresh as i write there are the cobwebs on the ceiling, a bloated spider crawling in one. A worse monster is gloating over me, those dull eyes of his, and my own pistol barrel cover me in the lamplight. The crucifix pin is awry in his cravat. That is because he has offered it to me to kiss. As a refinement, I feel sure, my revolver is not cocked, and the hammer goes up, up, he missed me because a lantern was flashed into his eyes through the grating he wasted the next ball in firing wildly at the light and the last chamber's load became suddenly too precious for my person for there were many voices overhead there were many feet upon the stairs harris came first head first saw me still living as he reeled hurled himself upon the boxes and one of these into the hole all far quicker than my pen can write it the manoeuvre being the captain's explained itself on his heels trod rattray with one who brought me to my feet like the call of silver trumpets the house is surrounded said the squire very quick and quiet is this your doing cole i wish it was said i but i can't complain it saved my life 
and I looked at Santos standing dignified and alert, my still-smoking pistol in his hand. Two things to do,' said Ratray. "'I don't care which.' He strode across the cellar and pulled at the one full bin. Something slid out. It was a binful of empty bottles, and this time they were allowed to crash upon the floor. The squire stood pointing to a manhole at the back of the bin. "'That's one alternative,' said he. "'But it will mean leaving this much stuff at least,' pointing to the boxes, "'and probably all the rest at the other end. "'The other thing's to stop and fight.' "'I fight,' said Santos, stalking to the door. "'Have you no more ammunition for me, friend Cole? "'Then I must leave you alive. Adios, senhor.' Harris cast a wistful look towards the manhole. "'Not in cowardice, I fancy, but in sudden longing for the sea, "'the longing of a poor devil of a sailor-man doomed to die ashore. "'I am still sorry to remember that Ratray judged him differently.' "'Come on, Skipper,' said he. "'It's all or none aboard the lugger, and I think it will be none. "'Up you go. "'Wait a second in the room above, and I'll find you an old cutlass. "'I shan't be longer.' "'He turned to me with a wry smile. "'We're not half-armed,' he said. "'They've caught us fairly on the hop. "'It should be fun. "'Good-bye, Cole. "'I wish you'd had another round for that revolver. "'Good-bye, Eva.' and he held out his hand to our love, who had been watching him all this time with eyes of stone. But now she turned her back upon him without a word. His face changed. The stormlight of passion and remorse played upon it for an instant. He made a step towards her, wheeled abruptly, and took me by the shoulder instead. "'Take care of her, Cole,' said he. "'Whatever happens, take care of her.' I caught him at the foot of the stairs. I do not defend what I did, but I had more ammunition, a few wadded bullets, caps, and powder charges loose in a jacket pocket, and I thrust them into one of his, upon a sudden impulse, not, as I think, altogether unaccountable, albeit, as I have said, so indefensible. My back was hardly turned an instant. I had left a statue of unforgiving coldness. I started round to catch in my arms a half-fainting, grief-stricken form, shaken with sobs that it broke my heart to hear. I placed her on the camp-stool. I knelt down and comforted her as well as I could, stroking her hands, my arms about her heaving shoulders, with the gold-brown hair streaming over them. Such hair as it was! so much longer than I had dreamt, so soft, so fine. My soul swam in the sight and touch of it. Well for me that there broke upon us from above such a sudden din as turned my hot blood cold. A wild shout of surprise, an ensuing roar of defiance, shrieks and curses, yells of rage and pain, and pistol-shot after pistol-shot as loud as cannon in the confined space. I know now that the battle in the hall was a very brief affair. While it lasted I have no sense of time, minutes or moments. They were, God forgive me, some of the very happiest in all my life. My joy was as profound as it was also selfish and incongruous. 
the villains were being routed of that there could be no doubt or question i hoped rattray might escape but for the others no pity stirred in my heart and even my sneaking sympathy with the squire could take nothing from the joy that was in my heart eva dennison was free i was free our oppressors would trouble us no more we were both lonely we were both young we had suffered together and for each other and here she lay in my arms her head upon my shoulder her soft bosom heaving on my own my blood ran hot and cold by turns i forgot everything but our freedom and my love i forgot my sufferings as i would have you all forget them i am not to be pitied i have been in heaven on earth i was there that night in my great bodily weakness and in the midst of bloodshed death and crime they have stopped cried eva suddenly it is over oh if he is dead and she sat upright with bright eyes starting from a deathly face i do not think she knew that she had been in my arms at all any more than i knew that the firing had ceased before she told me excited voices were still raised overhead but some sounded distant yet more distinct coming through the grating from the garden and none were voices that we knew one poor wretch on the other hand we heard plainly groaning to his death and we looked in each other's eyes with the same thought that's harris said i with i fear but little compassion in my tone or in my heart just then where are the others cried eva piteously god knows said i they may be done for too if they are it's better than the death they would have lived to die but only one of them was a wilful murderer oh mr cole mr cole go and see what has happened come back and tell me i dare not come i will stay here and pray for the strength to bear whatever news you may bring me go quickly i will wait and pray so i left the poor child on her knees in that vile cellar white face and straining hands uplifted to the foul ceiling sweet lips quivering with prayer eyelids reverently lowered and the swift tears flowing from beneath them all in the yellow light of the lantern that stood burning by her side how different a picture from that which awaited me overhead. End of chapter 18